Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marjadalia Pod. We treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of the Awakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello. How are Hi. you? I am good. Good, thank you. How are you? Have you recovered from your illness? It has been a very sniffly and awful week, so I'm feeling a little bit better today. Tuesday was just awful. I woke up, my partner was away in another city, and I just thought, nope, nope, I'm going right back to bed. The kids are staying home. I cannot drive them. I cannot be present to do stuff for them. We are just going to have mm. a Star Trek in bed kind of day. And we did, and it was exactly what I needed. I felt so much better at the end of the day. But I don't think three years ago even I would have taken that time for myself. I think I would have just, like, powered on. Yeah, well, I'm proud of you. It's good that you recognize <laughs> that. Actually, I'm allowed to need to look after myself, you know? Yeah. I will say the thing about COVID has really changed the way I feel about illnesses and like sharing them around like I was always like mm. I'll go to work holding my box of tissues you can't keep me down and now it's like oh, I don't feel so good I don't want to share this I'll just stay home like it's changed the way I think about shared germs yeah <laughs> like, really profoundly now I'm like I don't really want to get people sick let's just let's just stay home how about you how was your week yeah it was good it was very long I just the f- longest week in the history of time honestly right i don't know like, a thousand years long. <laughs> like honestly yeah i couldn't believe it on on thursday i was just like how is it only thursday i feel like i have been living this week every year for a li- lifetime you know it was just so horrific but anyway it's fine we got through it yeah and it's fine. like kave akbar with the um january has been going on for months in both directions yeah. only it's like monday has been going yeah. on in weeks for both directions horrible but what sparked joy for you this week uh, so it was book week, and for our Ooh. non-Australian, and I guess New Zealand, you guys do book week as well? Do you know? Yeah. I think so, so yeah. For the, the non-Antipodean listeners, book week is the week that you dress up as a book character and you take your costume to school. And basically, in the US, we do this on Halloween. Like, we dress up as a character and we go to school. Mm. But here, it's book week. So my daughter wanted to go as Nimona which meant that I had to make a Nimona costume, which was very cool. And my son wanted to go as Poppy Brothers Jr. from Kirby. Now, mm-hmm. this is a round character from a video game, so it was a bit tricky to translate the costume from a round character who has literal balls for hands and feet to, like, a person-shaped costume, but I think I did okay. It was really fun to make them, and they looked really good, and I feel like the Nimona costume was probably the best costume I've ever made, so I'm feeling pretty chuffed about that. It looked great. Can vouch. Have seen them. I can vouch for your great costuming. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that the disco ball fabric as like alternate chainmail was a very yeah, inspired choice. <laughs> it was inspired. When I saw that, I'm like, that is genius. I cannot right? believe I never, never thought of find that. Chain mail. Yeah, no. and it's so like it's because it's a top and shorts. She can just wear it when she wants to, and she just looks like a disco ball. It's great. <laughs> mm. So how about you? What sparked joy for you this week? Oh, well, I had my D&D crew together on Thursday night and Yay. we had the grand finale of the campaign that we started back in 2019. Wow. So it was really amazing because we waited until my friend was down from Auckland so that we could all be in mm-hmm. the same room together and have this big boss finale that brought all the different Aww. threads together. And 
That's great. It was just really great and really satisfying and they seemed to really enjoy it. I went out of my way to make a campaign that was like a final fight situation conclusion, I guess, that was mostly yeah. riddles and puzzles because they don't particularly like combat. Ah, and then okay. we were we were halfway through it and one of them was like, man, I feel like I just really need to fight something. And I'm like, I'm so glad you said that because of course the finale is going to be a fight, but like yeah, having yeah. built up with all these other things that they didn't need to fight anyone, it was just really great. And yeah, now it's done. So we finished it and I'm just really proud of myself and I'm proud of all of us because it's hard sometimes, you know, your husband plays D&D and he knows how hard it is to get people sometimes in the room together and how frustrating it can be as a DM to like just get things moving. Yes. <laughs> so the fact that we made it this far just makes me very happy. Oh, that's great. I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. I, I keep intending to watch some of the... Um, I think Bethany has recommended D20 to me several times. And it's on my list, but it's just another streaming service and I'm sort of on a like, nope, nope, no more. Yeah. Even if it's good, I just have to draw the line at like 42 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I would love yeah. to see how it's played someday, but I'm so proud that you got the opportunity to like finish it and that everybody was able to come and that you made it special for them. They must feel yeah. so happy. It was great because I picked every, like, well, we played at my friend's house, but we I picked everyone up else up on the way and we stopped to pick up Indian on the way. So it was just like this, like, big convoy. Yeah. yeah, no, it was really good. It was really fun. So, yeah. This week, we're reading chapters 47 to 55 through the theme of optimism, which is your favorite thing in the world. So do you have a story for us about <laughs> optimism? I do. I have a, a bit of a... A ponder. So I would like to think that I'm an optimist. I know that I'm really good at finding the bright side of things. I look forward to the good things in life. And I am really talented at like squeezing love or life lessons out of just about every hardship I have ever suffered. Mm. And that kind of lines up because the oldest definition of optimist that I could find is from 1750s. And it's like a person of a hopeful disposition. And I agree with that. I think that's a really good way of framing it. That optimism isn't belief, but it is hope. Mm. Um, but I think there's something... I think people don't understand this about most optimists. Um, we're actually super aware of things going wrong, and we are super aware that things can and do go wrong. So um, before I was on medication for my terrible anxiety, I had terrible anxiety, and I would stress myself out to the point of illness all of the time. So I would run through all of these scenarios about the terrible things of what might happen, and I would then like allocate different outcomes by planning what I could do. So I had these, I called them my hypothetical. So I would just go mm -hmm. through each hypothetical, what I would do in this situation, what I would do in that situation. What if I can't get here? Well, then what can I get there? Like I would just literally go through everything. Um, mm -hmm. I was prepared in six dimensions for like literally any disaster that could come my way. <laughs> and this doesn't sound like optimism, but I think in a way it sort of was because even though my brain was stuck on the like apocalypse setting, I was still able to like hope that I could think through all of these scenarios in order to survive this supposed future event. Mm -hmm. So I was never unaware of how things could go wrong. And even now, I'm much less anxious, but I'm still aware that things can and do go wrong. But I can't seem to stop myself from hoping that things will be better. So when people are hurtful, I always find myself hoping that they learn to be kinder, even when I would dearly love to like shove them in a pit of lava. <laughs> I'm like always hoping they'll be kinder or that they'll learn from it. Um, when my kids forget stuff, I remind myself that it takes time to grow into being a human being, even though sometimes I wish they would put their clothes a foot to the left inside the laundry basket mm. instead of on the bathroom floor right next to it. They'll get it someday, right? Surely. Um, and when I'm having a bad week, I know in my heart of hearts that the next week will be different. It will be better or worse, but it's not going to be the same. And I have survived all the weeks before this one, so surely I will survive this one too. Mm -hmm. 
So the last thing that I can really say about optimism is that it can really shape the interactions you have with other people. Um, I've had to learn to go into every interaction uh, ready and willing to be collaborative and kind and generous. And that is so hard sometimes. That is the hardest thing I've ever struggled with is being willing to be generous. Um, but, but if I expect people to be helpful and willing, then generally they are. Um, it takes an awful lot of curmudgeon to be a jerk when people just won't let you. So I just don't mm -hmm. let people be jerks. And it really seems to work most of the time. Um, so I highly recommend cultivating optimism. You could be like me, an optimist despite all of the knowledge of the world being sometimes quite terrible. It is really worth cultivating hope, no matter how hopeless things seem. You're very good at it. I think, yeah, thinking about it as hope as well, like you are always going to expect hope for the best, right? You're always hoping for the best. Yeah. You're always going to expect the best. And I think there's something in that, that people will rise to meet the expectations you set for mm. them, right? So if you expect people to be jerks like I do, and then I'm not surprised when they're jerks, it's because I don't really give them <laughs> another option. Whereas you, if you're just like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be super nice to you and therefore you must also be super nice to me. Otherwise you're just the real, real jerk. Yeah. They'll meet you there. <laughs> Yes, I had a lot of really good lessons. I mean, there there was definitely, I think working in retail really helped me to get there too, because right about that time when I was 17, 18, 19, and just really like so sure that I was who I was and that people were just being rude for no reason. And then you, you just stop and you go, wait, how come that person's being rude? And you say, are you okay? And they go, oh, my mom died this morning. And you're like, oh, right. You have a reason for being really snippy and short. Like you're in pain, you're hurting you don't mean to hurt me, but you just, you know, you're unhappy. Mm. And it's kind of, it gives you perspective being willing to, to look at things differently. And I think for me, optimism has been something I've had to cultivate, but I was always a forward thinker. I'm always like, what next, what next, what next? Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it. Um, and that part I don't recommend. So I have a really hard time living in the now, but looking forward and looking ahead and in a hopeful way has been really good. Oh, I love that. All right, let's do the chapter summary and then we can crack on into it. Um, okay, yes. so... This week, we've got Agatha and Neve heading back to Watford for one more goat maintenance session, and we meet Simon and Baz, who happen to be there researching Smith Smith Richards. Simon and Baz make out in the library and in the catacombs and do boring magical background checks. Agatha and Neve have awkward small talk and then come to an understanding and go get something to eat after the goat wrangling. Lady Ruth made a lemon drizzle cake. Matali Buns definitely knows her daughter is on YouTube doing magic, but she literally has no time to care about it. And Penny and Shep come to an attractive understanding, and then Penny has a flash of brilliance. So, Yay. just on that point you were saying about like optimism, thinking of the future and what's next and what's next, it just made me think of mm -hmm. what really stood out to me in this section is that Simon, for the first time, is thinking about the future. Like yes. he has this moment yes. where he's like, "I would like a house like this. I wonder what kind of house Baz wants." And he's saying, "You know, to Baz, I would do anything for you." Like he is thinking of yeah. a point in the future which we've not seen him do before. Yeah. Yeah. That is so great. I think Baz is actually quite an optimistic person. Mm. And that goes back to the I loved him with no hope. What, what is that? I've loved him hopelessly. Yeah, I've loved him yeah. hopelessly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. Like he's, he's like always going to be acting in, he's always going to be having that love and carrying that love. And that's sort of more hopeful than anything, right? It's like an enduring optimism. But I think that there are a few other things of Baz's where uh, a few other comments Baz makes that really make me think he was optimistic, like in, in beautiful, tiny ways, like getting rid of all the merwolves. This is something <laughs> I think about all the time that he had this plan to like kill them all. And then he, he it took him so long to catch one and then it tasted terrible. But he was like, I will rid the castle. I will rid the school of all of this. Like he's trying to be helpful and he's like got this really hopeful plan. And it just something about yeah. it that's really lovely. Like he's he's going to do the dirty work, which is kind of hiding his optimism. Right. Because he does seem quite like, oh, everything's terrible. Everything's hopeless. 
let me just not interact with the world, uh, you know? But he's actually yeah. quite engaged and he wants to make things better. I think that whole bit where they had that exchange as well about, you know, Simon saying he's sorry for breaking his nose and how he wants to mm. wish they could have been friends. And then Baz says on page 325, it was probably meant to happen like this. Yeah. There's something about a belief in fate and destiny that requires a lot of optimism, I think. To have that kind of, oh, yeah. you know, it is what it is, that requires an optimistic outlook. So do you think that Simon is optimistic? Because he thinks he's fooled everyone and that he wasn't really a chosen one. This comes up a lot. I keep thinking this is like his optimism antidote, right? Yeah. He keeps thinking that he was like a fraud the whole time and that he was never really the chosen one and like... The reason that Baz and Lady Ruth are wary of a new chosen one is because they were already fooled by him. Yeah, which like, no hey, one nobody. is thinking. <laughs> like, no, no one's one thinking that. that. <laughs> like, that's not how that worked. Yeah, it's an interesting expectation, I think, of Simon as well, that, that whole mm -hmm. thing. But also then he still feels really, he, he feels a real ownership of Watford, right? And he thinks yeah. that he has this expectation that it belongs to him because it was his job to protect it. And it belongs to Baz because yeah. of this family legacy that he has. So this... It's almost like Simon has this real push-pull inside him himself where he's like, oh, it was mine to protect, but also I wasn't really the chosen one. Like, he's really conflicted almost all of the time, which must just be exhausting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he feels like he was only there to take. He feels like he was the exploitative part. And I don't think he was. Like, I don't think... I think that when he went off, yes, the big magic was what drained it, but I don't think it was his everyday little magic. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That really reminded me of something. So on page 318, he talks about a memory that he has of the mage, right? And the mage is saying yeah. he has to go live with the normals. He can't stay at Watford over the break. And the line is, um, we start behaving like the magic comes from within us and not from the world around us. Go live in the world, Simon. Stay close to it. And I wonder, that line that not from the world around us really stood out to me because so much of what Simon is is about the ritual and what they put into him, right? Mm -hmm. Like Lucy gave him all her magic. And then the mage has this opinion, like, from the world around us. So he made, he sort of tied Simon's magic to the magical ferment in a way, I think, just through this kind of world view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe what the ritual actually did and, like, the nuts and bolts side of it was to link him up to all of mm. the magic, therefore giving him the most magic, but also... Draining the magic. The, yeah. yeah, it would also be the greatest threat to the world of mages. Like, you can be both. I think yeah. that... Whether or not he was the greatest threat. Well, I think that Simon was the greatest threat to magic, but he was also the chosen one that saved it. Yeah, I agree. I I do think the prophecy is fulfilled. I think they just all need to move mm. on. This weird thing what they have where they're like, no, we must continue. It's such a weird thing to do. But I suppose it's very, it's a very predictable outcome. I feel like that's something we do oh, yeah. all the time as a species. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we were discussing some of that at brunch today and I was pointing out how like, the country that I'm from is now surprisingly like other oligarchies that we see and like it happened slowly but it happened and mm. this sometimes it's a bit like the alleged frog in a pot of water you know you don't notice it's boiling until it's boiling yeah um, an interesting bit of optimism I thought was Vitaly's comment that a lot of the coven is either just hoping that the other COs chosen ones will like sort of fizzle out and then the other half of them are, like, secretly going to the meetings. So there's a lot of hope there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Both that the problem will resolve itself without them having to do anything, which is, like, typical coven. And both that there is something that they can get from it. Some hope. 
that's such a relatable hope as well sometimes when there's an issue at work and you're just like what if I just ignore it and see if it goes away (laughs) yeah yes which is something that understand Neve's definitely not doing that she is not hoping that the what the goat problem solves itself she's taking full agency and I think that's because Neve and Agatha are pessimists (laughs) yes I do wonder at this I think Agatha has this really beautiful, helpful moment where she offers to go along and help. And mm. then she is trying to make small talk. And Neve is like shutting her down at every corner because Neve's like, if you, if my dad's mad about the thing of a face, and she's like, geez, it's not what I'm saying. I'm like, just trying to have a conversation because we're on this drive mm. together. And then Neve doesn't want a third wheel. And Agatha's like, if anything, you would balance the whole thing out. And I'm like, Agatha, Agatha, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. You don't yeah. see it, but I see it. Um, and it's the hair really thing cute. as well like oh, yeah the hair thing how tender and beautiful is that oh i've i've written that whole thing down so we can talk about it because that <laughs> whole paragraph is just beautiful but yeah i have a lot of feelings about the hair thing i think she is trying to do the right thing now that she knows and she's i don't know if she's even hopeful that she can make a change i don't know if she's even optimistic about making a change but she's definitely called to do the right thing agatha is I think like optimism yeah. in action, if not in thought. Yeah, definitely. You know, just still trying, right? Yeah. Still trying to do the best thing. I think there's also optimism from Lady Ruth a lot of the time, like for Jamie and even for Lucy still being alive, yeah. right? She's just really, she's so optimistic and so hopeful and she kind of relies on magic to feed that hope for better or worse. And I think mm, there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of that in the world of mages, this expectation that magic will will support you which in case you can be optimistic because you have magic right and then for simon who's like yeah i would i would be so happy if i got my magic back i wouldn't hold a grudge which is also the first time he's ever admitted such a thing right ouch yeah Yeah. but i i also want to point out that penny has this really great moment where she realizes that she's been informed by the idea that you have to have magic to be worth talking to because what would you even talk about with the normal? And she's sitting there with Shep for days and days and days realizing that she actually has a lot to talk about with him. And yes, yeah, some of it is magic, but some of it's just life. And then she realizes, is this what it was like? Is this what, did I say this around Simon? Is that why he left? Is that why he doesn't mm. want to talk to me anymore? Did I make him feel that way? Like she's actually connecting all of these thoughts and and really coming to some conclusions there. And I was just like cheering her on the whole time. Like, go Penny, have these revelations. Yes, think these things through. Because this is something we've noticed is that she's very um, like prejudiced. She's very firm in her ideas. She can be quite she's hard black and to... white, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's very, yeah, very black and white thinking. So I love that she's starting to look for the gray spaces, look for the nuance and things. Yeah, very beautifully self-reflective and willing to to interrogate that because it's a hard thing to do to interrogate your own opinions and to acknowledge that you're wrong and she's really struggled with that so far but I think it's because Shep yeah. is so welcoming and so optimistic and just so lovely mm-hmm. that she he, he offers her the space to do that she doesn't have to have the answers and she has that beautiful moment where she's like my neighbours know his name they don't even know my name people see him on the street yeah. and then they get to know him and that's the thing with Ship is like it gets worse the more you know him because he's so nice <laughs> and by worse it's like you're even more attractive and that's horrible stop being so attractive because <laughs> Ship is love... like the embodiment of optimism I think <laughs> oh he's a golden retriever of a person he's just lovely and wants to hang out with his people and beautiful beautiful personality I 
I make no bones about how much I adore Shep. I think he's a fantastic character. I think we should all try to be like Shep. I think you are Shep, so. (laughs) I probably am. I'm not quite as adventurous. I'm like Shep Light. I'm not going to get a mermaid STD, that's for sure. So funny, the mermaid STD thing. There was some optimism in his little speech about that, right? I I wrote it down because I love it so much. It's on page 368. I need to tell you something, a few somethings, because now is the time to tell you before we get serious. But Mm. it's going to make it seem like I think we're more serious than we are. I just don't want to miss my window for being honest with you. It's really lovely that he's like, I'm just going to hope that this is going in the direction I really want it Mm. to go and that it won't weird you out. But also I'm trying to honor the fact that you told me not to withhold things from you. So here's all the information. And some of that information is actually what gives Penny her big insight, which we're about to see next section. But he is very, I think, yeah, he's very hopeful about having a future with Penny, right? Like the fact that he feels he's like, I'm going to tell you this Mm -hmm. and it's going to make it seem like this is more serious than it probably is right now. But in his head, he's already thinking about a future and he doesn't want to get to that point and have to have this conversation where he withheld information from her. Yeah, it's lovely. I love that kind of optimism. And it's a scary thing when you're in a relationship with someone and you you have to just go all in and hope hope for the best because you don't know. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if there's something about how... So I have, I have a question. Do you think that optimism and expectation are sort of opposite? Because I feel like they are. I feel like optimism leaves like a hope, whereas expectation, there's not a lot of flexibility. Like there's more rigidity, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. But I also do think that sometimes you need optimism in order to have an expectation. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you need to you need to have some hope that something is going to come to fruition in order to expect it. But sometimes, well, I guess it's the inverse as well because you can expect something because you have a lack of optimism. So yeah, yeah, like oh, mm. this is going to be terrible. Yeah, or always I was expecting just the worst. About how someone. sometimes, yeah, mm. it, you know, when you like build an idea up in your head. And you're thinking, like, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. And then you get there and you're like, it was really great, but it wasn't what I expected. And you yeah. feel, like, let down by it. Mm. So that's how I was kind of feeling. Like, one of the tricks for my own optimism is just to be like, whatever happens, it's going to be great. <laughs> and then yeah. let it happen and then recast it as I've processed it. I think that's definitely something we've all sort of had to do with COVID as well. Because yeah. every time you made any sort of plans or expected any sort of conclusion or outcome, it didn't happen because of the way the world was just shut down and everything was changing. So you sort of had to just turn up on the day and be like, I'm hopeful to see how it goes. I can't expect anything because who knows what it's going to look like, but I'm just going to hope for the best. So we had to all be a bit more flexible in a way that you're right. Expectation doesn't allow for flexibility. Yeah. That's been something really interesting to, to flag over the years, how people's expectations have changed and what we now look on as normal is so different to what we did four years ago for sure yeah but there's no COVID in this universe which means that Shep and Penny can kiss yay (laughs) I'm so happy about this moment I always get hit by a truck by how cute they both are and by how annoyed they both are and how cute they are I love that Shep is really focused on Penny's legs and her cute (laughs) dimples and there's Yes, there's this beautiful moment where he's like, her cuteness doesn't abate. And then a few pages later, Penny's like, and it just gets worse the more you know him. And I'm like, you guys are the same. It's very cute. So cute. (laughs) Makes me really happy. Yeah, I'm glad they get to have that moment. And that Penny is going to, you know, just get it it done. She doesn't need anyone else to solve her problems. She's just going to fix them herself. She's such a boss. Yeah, she's got what she's got. 
I think there's some expectations around Agatha that I would love to touch mm. back on. Mm. I like that when she sees Simon and Baz, her first thing is like, oh, I expect that there's a, a crisis <laughs> happening because you wouldn't just see them in the wild like this. Like, you're more likely to see them saving the world than down at the pub. Yeah, and Batali has the exact same thing on page 319. She's like, the pair of you don't just show up to say hello, do you? Are you being chased by werewolves? I assume they've already eaten my daughter. Like, she's just so, ugh. <laughs> what do you children want? It kind of reminds me of, like, how you're stuck in time to certain adults. Yeah. Like, they keep thinking that you're the same kid you were when you were 12 or whatever. And you're like, actually, like, I'm, I'm a married person with children now, but thank you. My housemate talks about this all the time because she goes to these family events and some people just treat her exactly the same as they did when she was like 12. And she went, she came back from something the other day and she's like, I feel like we had a breakthrough because one aunt just said, well, I don't really know you anymore. And she's like, finally, some acknowledgement that I'm yeah. a new person. Yes, but you grow up and you change and you like different stuff. Mm. Amazing. Imagine. But yeah, you're right. I love, I love that expectation of like Bear, Simon and Penny that, you know, they're just going to be up to mysterious shenanigans. <laughs> yes, there's a crisis wherever they are. And I also like that Neve seeing that they all know each other, is just like, well, they're going to want to hang out afterward. I better bail before anything happens. I don't want to be sucked into a pub lunch with these guys. <laughs> She's, she just expects to have to tag along. And um, there's something really beautiful about the way Agatha was like, I'm pretty sure I was a third wheel in my own relationship with one person. <laughs> like, she just is so cute she's like i think you would actually balance it out you're you, you would be a fourth wheel we would need a fourth wheel which is kind of a nice roundabout way to like say actually the the expectation isn't correct and maybe you should join us because like even though it's people and we both hate talking to people these are friends yeah yeah i wonder when agatha is gonna figure out that like simon being excited to see her is not him rescuing her it's just that he's like oh my friend my friend is here hello friend do you want yeah. something? I'm here. I can help. Like, he's just out there doing stuff, minding his own business. And Agatha's like, you again. <sighs> the optimism of that from him as well to be like, oh, a task I can accomplish. Like, you know, I've got a mission. The mission is to gather the goats. I can do that. It's just cute. Yeah. He just wants to help. And I think someone needs to give him jobs. Like, this is a person who needs jobs. Yeah. Give him constant tasks. Yes. Yes. Honestly, this is how I get anything done. If I want to get something done, I can't have a whole day to do it. I have to have like no time and it has to be wedged in among five other things and then I can do it. <laughs> it does not work. If I have a whole day to do something, it will be undone at 10 p.m. This whole thing you had about rigid expectations and how, mm. you know, people are kind of, there's not much flex in them. I think the major expectations of Simon very much fall into that genre. Like, he has yeah. such expectations of Simon's power. He had very little flex in how he could apply that or how he could bring that yes. about. Like he talks about trying to make magical objects, getting Simon to do that. Like there's just a lot of rigidity in the way that he approached mm -hmm. Simon, which I think as we've discussed previously, because of the way Simon's magic works, because of his learning disability, all these things, right? Yeah. yeah. Just, just approach it differently and Simon would have been fine. It's because you try to shove him in this box that was never made for him, that he couldn't excel. Well, exactly. It's like um, people who have trouble reading text on the page but can listen to audiobooks. Mm -hmm. I get so angry when people are like, oh, audiobooks aren't reading. I just want to be like, so blind people don't read. Are you, is that like, so people who have other issues like vision issues or like I've got a friend who has concussion, long-term concussion issues, but words just sort of go away. They don't stick. Like these are really people who are still reading books and getting the information. Like we cannot gatekeep this, but magic seems to only work in a specific way for a lot of these people but i wonder if like simon had been able to be successful by just using his intuition or feeling his way through it he might have had better 
look. And I wonder mm. if the same wouldn't be true for like Jamie Salisbury or I don't know, Gareth with this terrible belt buckle. Like there's got to be a way to help people who are struggling to speak magic to make it make sense for them. What about yeah, people use sign language? How do you, you know? Yeah, rather than just telling them it doesn't work that way. Because if we think back to carry on, you know, Penny would spend all that time saying to Simon, but that that's not how it works. It can't be, it can't be. Yeah. Even though that's not his experience of the world. It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. listen to the p- people who are, who have the needs, right? Rather than trying to impose your own worldview on them. Yes, yeah. yep. As somebody who breaks things in interesting ways and has a kid who gets injured in interesting ways, I'm telling you, it's possible. It is possible that it has been broken or injured in that way. Yes. There's a real prescriptiveness to the world of mages. And I think that they're all trying to get back to a baseline of the, the, the feeling I get from Atali is that they're all trying to get back to a baseline of understanding their world and like putting it back together. Mm. But they they have to be helpful. They have to be optimistic. But it's really hard to do that when they are just putting out fires all the time. Yeah, like even that phone call we walk in on with her having, right, where she's obviously arguing about someone because she wants to teach Shakespeare at the school and they obviously don't see any need for it. And this is this hangover of the expectations that the mage instilled. And I think even the library, you know, not having any books in it and now suddenly having books in it, this real shift in how we approach this issue, which is really difficult to shift those expectations, I guess, once they've been set. But Matali's interesting as well because I think she really subverts the expectation of these kids who just assume at some point they're going to get punished for what happened yeah. and she's like yes. i am too busy to be dealing with yeah. this yeah yeah yes and she's like you're very lucky that people don't believe what they see anymore <clears throat> yeah <laughs> i also think there's something about the expectation of how precious watford is and both baz and simon comment on this and then agatha comments on this later about how the mage used to drive into the school grounds yeah. and how agatha's like well that's just such a jerk move and Baz is like, well, he was a heathen. And then Simon's like, I don't know why we don't just drive in. Like, he doesn't understand that it's not done. He mm. doesn't understand that it's, like, rude. I think that's a really interesting bit of expectation there, that, that Watford is that special. That yeah, you don't just drive space. all over it. Yeah, 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 definitely. I love how much Baz and Agatha agree in the margins, by the way. Yeah, I love that too. They're very similar. Mm. And she's like, he's, you know, Simon talks about wearing Baz's shirt and it's like I've never seen Baz in short sleeves and Baz is like I bought it for him and Agatha <laughs> immediately clocks that she's like oh is Baz shopping for I'm him shopping now for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean who who better to shop for Simon honestly but then he gets he has a jealousy moment doesn't he I know I, he is a bit jealous but yeah understandably so right he just he's used to not having what he wants so or not being allowed to have what he wants yeah I um I think there's something about Baz's expectation that he's responsible for vampires. Yeah, because they have this huge conversation about what they're going to do about now next. And Simon's like, I reckon we should just leave it. Yeah. Let Lamb wipe out San Diego. I don't care. Yeah, and Baz is a bit like, mm, and Simon says to him, just because you're a vampire doesn't mean you're responsible for all vampires or their behavior. Yeah. It's an interesting subversion of expectation as well, because this is Simon who spent all of the, his formative years trying to convince everyone that Baz is a vampire and that vampires are evil. And now Baz is like, well, you know, yeah. they're monsters. And he's like, uh, <laughs> I'm literally sleeping with a vampire. Like, what is your problem? <laughs> I know. He looks, he's like so confused by it. He's like, um, why would I want to kill? Why would I want to destroy vampires? You're a vampire. Mm. Which could be read as like, oh, I've met one minority and now I think they're all okay. But like, also, I think it's just literally that he's seen a lot more vampires now and 
the mage isn't around meddling people for killing them. Yeah, and he doesn't, he appreciates now that, you know, I think in the past they didn't really appreciate, none of them did, that vampires didn't just automatically kill someone. It wasn't just drain mm-hmm. them or turn them. That was, yeah, sometimes you can just drink them. And sometimes people are consenting as well. It's not like they, you know, Simon says about stealing a pint, but some of those people in Vegas were 100% consenting. So. Oh, absolutely. Because as like, Simon, Simon points even out, offers himself up. Yeah. Because yeah. he's like, it's hot. And I love Baz being like, you think you can handle this right now? So funny. I love that as a bit of optimism because Simon's like, well, maybe not now. He's, again, thinking of the future. He's thinking through his issues, right? Yes. And it's great because in just the last section, he was like, sometimes all you can do is like, what am I going to do right now? Am I going to take a walk? Am I going to have a sandwich? Am I going to make a cup mm -hmm, of tea? mm -hmm. And now he's like, well, maybe after we solve this, we can help find, you know, Lucy Salisbury. Yeah. I love it. I love this little healing and I love that he, I love that Baz goes down to spend time with his mother and then Simon ends up spending time with his. No, not that he knows, but yeah. Mm. There's something really magical about that. I love that moment as well when he's like, I can't believe, or what is he's like, I, yeah, imagine how having to come to the catacombs to visit your mother's grave, like this, <laughs> this family doesn't even know how creepy they are. And I'm like, my guy, you're doing it as well. So we agree that that's where Lucy's buried. Yeah. Like that's where she is. She's in the catacombs. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. So why else would the painting be down there, you know? Well, I mean, doesn't Davy want to visit her sometimes? I think he would. That yeah. was his only friend. Creepy man. Horrible, oh, horrible so creepy. man. The worst. Um, hmm. I think that was it in terms of expectation. Expectation. I think one more that this one made me laugh about Shepard. Um, He's talking about his parents splitting up and on page 358 he says, you know mm. how they always tell kids this divorce isn't about you, it isn't your fault. <laughs> she nods. Yeah. Well, I remember thinking, of course it isn't. Why would you even suggest that? Is someone out there pinning this on me? I love that as well. <laughs> so funny. It's really great and I think that there are a lot of, like, knowing people who've gotten divorced and knowing how their kids are and seeing, like, the worst thing I think is just navigating the time and, like, the schedules of everybody involved. It seems like we as a society have kind of moved past that, oh, my parents split up and it's all my fault. Actually, like, people sometimes just grow apart and it's fine. But, like, it is tricky to navigate the day-to-day life of Mm. one or more kids in two different households. I think that's the thing that I noticed the most. But I love that Shep is just like, well, of course it's not my fault. Why would it be? I'm great. I'm Shep. He's such a well-adjusted person, really. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. He just is real chill. I love that. I love that for him. I love that for Penny just great i feel like he's very confident in who he is right and i love that about that section as well where penny's like no i wouldn't change you i wouldn't want you to be a magician i would never want to change you know the person that you are and i think there's something about being that secure in yourself that does allow you to be an optimist because you're you can't really be hurt in the same way that people who i guess want more external validation can be hurt Mm. yeah there's there's like being vulnerable and then there's letting your your personality or letting your security depend on other people like they're different and i think that's a really hard line for a lot of people but i think penny has conflated vulnerability with weakness in a way that is not the same and i think she's kind of understanding now that that like you can be who you are and you can also like rise up to meet people you don't have to only be who you are Mm. She's able to sort of change a lot around herself with Shep because he just challenges all of those things about her without being rude. Yeah, and he does it without judgment. Yeah. It's the classic Ted Lasso thing. Like, he's curious. He's not judgmental. Like, he just holds space for people. And you'll be like, yeah, "Yeah, I, you know, call her out on her nonsense. Or he's like, oh, I don't agree with that, which, you know, puts her in an uncomfortable position to really question where she's coming from. 
but he doesn't yeah. judge her for that he's still like yeah i still like you i just think that idea you have is whack you know like that sort of thing he likes everything about her i to be liked by a character in a rainbow rowl novel honestly <laughs> just like he loves her legs he loves her unwashed unbrushed tangly hair he loves her t-shirts he loves getting up first and making her a cup of tea he's the best honestly <laughs> um do you have any tangential uh yeah i love simon's joy when he's herding the goats and he's there's that line on pr- page 340 <laughs> simon is herding them along from the air he's got a death from above move that gets the goats going and makes him laugh like a maniac i just love that he's having a good time with his friends and he's flying and then the real shock of that when he's like i can still take your wigs off and i think he's really being like oh i don't really want them off yeah it's like oh right yeah that's that's something we are supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is a great moment. I can just see it. Like, I can just picture him diving and cackling and laughing. I know. I love it. And I love, there's so many lol moments, but like the whole kiss me in the catacombs, unhallow the ground, I'll unhallow your ground. It's so <laughs> dumb. And I love it so much. <laughs> and also like, I get the being like this... on page 350. It's like watching someone give themselves a make under. So funny. Yes. I had that one as well because I love that Agatha is so judgmental about people's appearances and she even flags it she's like Penny always said I was really judgmental about other people's hair um but then she actually is like touching Neve's hair and looking at her and it's on page 351 where she says oh I suppose Neve looks fierce no matter what with that nose with that crushed plum of a mouth that mean chin but this takes the fierce to something else something very nearly intolerable like Mm. oh okay Uh uh-huh your gay is showing Agatha. And she's like, she looks like Marlon Brando. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Follow that train mm-hmm. of thought. And then they go out for food. Oh, After they it. were both I like, so I don't want to go to the pub. But yeah. <laughs> Agatha being so grumpy and misanthropic, but still like, she's she's giving Neve bids, right? These are all bids. Like, can I come to Watford with you? Let's make small talk, even though I really hate it. I'll help you with the goats. And then she's so excited. This is the other thing I really love. That Simon is teaching her the wand movements. Mm. And it just goes to show you, like, further on from our quick chat about the mage and the way that he tried to make Simon do all this stuff. Eb was able to teach him stuff that he remembered and retained. Mm. And that work. And, like, that's because he was with someone who was supportive and met him at his level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't forcing him to do something or, yeah. Right. Yeah justice for Eb. And he's able to show Agatha. Yeah, and Agatha's really receptive to her as well. It's another person who didn't fit really into the mould of how Watford teach, like how Watford taught people, right? She always felt like she didn't have as much magic as everyone else and all these things, but here she is showing aptitude in a way that she never has before. Absolutely. And having the ability to like spend the time and grow in that way. I don't know. It's like getting a humanities degree almost. Like you have to really think and approach things from lots of different... I mean, I know that's so derivative, but like when you're in humanities, there is no right answer. You have to focus really hard and like really like have your arguments. You have to know your arguments. You have to research in order to be able to like make an argument. Mm. You can't just answer it like it's not an equation. You cannot solve for why. And I love that this is something that Agatha is learning, like, as she's going, like, what will work? What can she cast? What works best for goats? And she likes it. She's capable of it. And the goats like it, too, because if they don't like your magic, Neve says, they just won't accept it. I just want to give a shout out to Baz as well, who goes, well, I can't do anything. So the best thing I can do is just stay out of the way. Actually, that is really helpful. There's nothing worse than someone who is usually very good and very in charge getting involved when they can't actually add value. So I think this is really Mm -hmm. nice of Baz to be like, "Mm, no. But I mean, he's also a little bit sulky, but still. 
<laughs> it's because he's always a little bit sulky where Agatha's concerned. And I think that resolves, well, it doesn't resolve later, but I think it's understandable because he, he talked earlier in the catacombs about not being able, not wanting Simon to have a meltdown and not wanting to sit in the dirt and comfort him while all of his ancestors are watching. So he like stops the kissing before it gets to that like intense mm. point. But then he sees how beautiful Agatha and Simon are together and how like happy they are doing this thing and learning this thing together. And it's just really sad that he's like, they look beautiful together. <laughs> like, buddy, yeah. you and Simon also look beautiful together. And like your friendships are going to be different than your lovers. And that's okay. It's just a different relationship. And you can't be all of the things for the person you love, no matter how much you want to be. And that's okay. <laughs> just reminded me of that bit where Agatha also intervenes when him and Neve, he says that thing about the goats and Neve is like what and she's like mm. Neve cannot even begin to understand what is happening right now so she intervenes and she says I don't know why I'm intervening they deserve the worst of each other which I thought was really interesting because <laughs> I think not only does Agatha have a lot to unpack in this fact that you know Simon and Baz are together yeah. now but she was very much a pawn like Baz used her to get to Simon and there's there's bound yeah. to be resentment there as well. We don't really see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But definitely. She was also the first person to keep his secret though. And I think that there's a bit of an understanding between them for that. Like he's never gonna be horrible to her, but he's also just like, nah, we're not yeah. friends really, but like we'll hang out. We're friend adjacent. But as we know, no one really knows if they're Agatha's friend, like Penny's always half a friend, a third of a friend when she's doing the equation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like two and a half friends. I just think Agatha is misanthropic, but she does need her people. Mm. And she just doesn't know how to need them. She doesn't really know how to like people in a way that's like good enough for her, right? Yeah. She has that need, but she doesn't know how to ask for it. She doesn't know how to go for it. But she's trying, and I love that she's trying. I'm so proud of her. Four for you, Agatha. Agreed. Yeah. She's doing great. I think that's all I had for tangential. Yeah, same. Did you have an in-depth? I do. Um, so I chose from the section where they're in the library doing research for Lady Ruth on Smith, Smith Richards. And Simon is nostalgic about what might have been. So on page 323, Simon wistfully tells Baz, think of all the places we could have kissed if we'd figured this out sooner. And I think it's really interesting that Simon has this like optimistic nostalgia about what having a, a relationship with Baz would have been like or might have been like. He thinks about it in terms of them being able to do then what they're doing now. And his expectation is like optimistic, right? He thinks it would have been better or easier. And I kind of like how Baz inverts this in response. On page 325, he tells Simon, uh, it was probably meant to happen like it did. It's hard to argue with the timing. My mother's ghost, the mage's plan. My father thinks mm. that some things, some people are written. So his expectation is different, that if they had become boyfriends at school, it wouldn't have been the right time for them. Mm. And this is both something that I've felt, like the hunger of wanting to have known someone you only met recently, like for your whole life. And also the reality that knowing that person your whole life might mean the relationship you have now would have been completely different. And I was thinking about this because um, I was watching Star Trek with my daughter. We were watching an episode of Strange New Worlds and the security officer, Laan, has to go back in time to fix something. So she meets someone from a current day alternate timeline and they kind of accidentally go back together. But while they're back in time fixing her world, they actually connect and it's really beautiful. But at the end, she has to go back to her original timeline and everything is the way it should be. But that connection is gone and she's the only one who remembers and it takes a lot of like hope and optimism to find out if that person might be interested in knowing her in, in her present timeline. And she's not a naturally optimistic person, but she does reach out. And it's so beautiful to me. Um, but it really reinforces for me that like we can't change the past and we have to make the best of what we have now. So true, hey. And like it's 
just hearing that story reminded me. I don't know if you've seen Well Mania. It's on Netflix. It's Celeste Barber's show. No, I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list though. There's a moment where she's meet, like she's in the kitchen with her friend and they are kind of at odds and she says to her, do you think we'd be friends if we met today? And the friend's like, no. Mm. Because they're just completely different people. <laughs> yeah, it is It is an ouch moment, but it does resolve quite beautifully in the end in a way that I think makes a lot of sense because she's like, it doesn't matter because we are friends because we have this history. So it doesn't matter if I'd be your friend if we met today because you can't untangle these threads of what we mean to each other. But yeah, yeah it is interesting to think about how it's that whole thing about different tiers of friendship, right? Some friendships are never going to survive yeah. once you change. And some of them you're just like, oh, well, I'm going to just love you forever, I guess. Even if maybe right now I don't like you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think every friendship has moments mm. of like, oh, this person. They're my person, but this person. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be okay with that. Like, you have to be okay with sometimes being really cross with or even, like, not particularly liking spending time with someone that you love. Because we all have off moments and off days. And, like, that's just normal. I get really concerned when people are like, and I'm never sad when I'm with them. And I'm like, okay, that might be a flag. Yeah. Like, I think you should be able to be all the people that you are all the time with the person that you love the most or the people that you love the most. Yeah, I agree with that. Hmm. Do you have in-depth? Yeah, so mine's actually from the same section. So page 316 is the one I chose. And so this is just before they get to the library um, when they're on the way way to Watford. And the line is, Baz says I need to apologize to her properly in person. I'm sure he's right. I just don't know where to start. I've never really apologized to Penny before. I've never had to. So Simon and Baz going to Watford. Library's not going with them. She's not really replying to Simon's texts. Um, There's very little communication, so this is just a whole thing. I think it relates to optimism, our theme of optimism, because there's a sense of trusting a relationship so much. One, that you've never felt the need to apologize for something before, but also knowing that the the opportunity is there, that you can fix something. I think that takes optimism. And also expectation of behavior, I think, that you apologize when you hurt someone. That is the expectation, that we will fix something once we know that it is wrong or that we've done something to hurt someone else. So there's some expectations there. It reminded me of a situation I've been in recently where I had an incident with a friend, really close friend, and I think we both expected the other person to apologize. Like, neither of us thought we were in the wrong. We both thought the other person had done something really horrible and really hurtful. And so we just kind Mm. of left it until I kind of messaged, well, she sent me a message that was really about something else. And I just said, well, why, how do you expect me to know this? Because you haven't spoken to me basically in a month. So I don't know anything. And she's like, well, I haven't spoken to you because of this, this and this. And I'm like, well, because of this, this and this. And it was just this real like intense back and forth, which is always difficult over text anyway. And yeah, I think yeah. we because we were willing to have the conversation, we got to a point where we're actually what had happened is that we had both projected our own insecurities onto the other person. So when I was saying mm-hmm. something, she thought I was saying something else. And when she was saying something, I was saying seeing something else, right? Because we were both coming from a place of being hurt. So we weren't generous or weren't yeah. really optimistic about what the other person was saying, you know? Yeah. It was just kind of like really really horrible and really hard and I'm glad that we had the conversation because there is a real uncomfortableness you have to sit in that uncomfortableness to to move ahead and also admit your own fault like I we were both like I'm really sorry that I made you feel that way that was obviously not my intention doesn't matter if it was my intention that's how you felt so I'm really sorry but I never never would think that about you I never would say that about you that was not where I was coming from I was coming from my own place of hurt and then just being honest with each other and Mm -hmm. it kind of reminded me of Harry Potter when Ron comes back after the camping trip you know like he he ran away and then he comes back and 
at first Harry is really like grumpy with him and Hermione's really grumpy with him, but you get to a place of understanding if you're willing and open to do so. So I think going forward is just yeah, a yeah. reminder to be patient with each other because the world is a hard place and we're all doing our it best. Is. And for the people who love us, we just have to assume that we just have to hope for the best. We have to be optimistic that the people who love us are doing so out of love and yeah you're gonna get hurt but it's not gonna be because they don't care about you so yeah just be patient oh i love that oh our chats are hard really is it's just horrible but i felt so much better after having it because it was just hanging over my head for like weeks it's just this real gross feeling you know yeah Yeah. like oh no we're in a fight or maybe maybe we're in a fight are we in a fight i can't tell i feel gross about it and i don't i'm not happy with where we left things but we are sort Mm -hmm. of like what is going yeah it's just just have the conversation rip the band-aid off it's easier (laughs) clear the air clear the air i mean the worst they can say is yes we're in a fight and i need time and then you go okay all right like at least least you have information you can deal with it yeah yeah (sighs) Yeah. well did you have a character you wanted to spotlight this week Yes, I'm going to spotlight Neve. I mm. definitely feel like Neve is not used to having anyone that she likes making overtures. I feel like she's always been too scary to be approached. And so she's very reserved. And also she doesn't people well. We know this. She's She does not have the how to be social tricks down. Um, and I love her for it. I, mm. I really, really love Neve. I have met and worked with a lot of Neves because... Neuro spicy to neuro spicy, we just find each other. Um, but I can tell that she's really confronted by how she feels about Agatha and she doesn't actually know what to do. So I just really want to give a hug to everybody out there who is feeling like Neve, like, what is going on? Why does this person keep talking to me? They're mm-hmm. annoyingly cute and way too <laughs> popular and I don't I don't like it. I don't like the way I feel, it's confusing. So like heart my heart is out reaching out to you. I, I get it, it's very tough. <laughs> How about you? Who do you want to spotlight this week? I am just going to continue on my Buns family situation from last week. And I'm actually spotlighting Matali. Because I feel like she has so much on. And she's basically trying Mm -hmm. to rebuild this world and doing her best. Yep. So many fires that she's trying to put out. She's trying to look after her family. But she can't really because there's just so much going on. The whole chosen one thing. Her daughter is not talking to her. It's just a lot. I just feel for her. And she's like really trying to do really important work. Like education is a really important thing to be concerned about. And she's trying to do the best by people and the best by her society. And it's just yeah, an, an, a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation on her. So I thought she deserved a spotlight. Oh, she definitely does. Mm. Do you have any homework for our readers this week? So the only thing I'm going to recommend this week is if you aren't familiar with D&D and after I spoke about my D&D thing I'm just going to recommend the McElroy Brothers podcast The Adventure Zone which is a great D&D primer um, it was kind of how I got into D&D listening to it I really enjoyed it so yeah if you want to give that a crack from the first from the first season it's well worth it it's really lovely yeah I should listen to that I have heard good things I've got a friend who wrote an entire fic about it oh, cute. shout out to Lewix <laughs> Yes, they have a character called Barry Blue Jeans that was yes. like a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of throwaway weird characters and throwaway weird little adventures. And they actually made them into graphic novels as well. So oh, it's cool. real cute. That's great. Yeah. 
Did you have homework? I do. So I read I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette mm. McCurdy. And whoa, that was a tough memoir to read. Um, I just, the whole time, I wanted to like swoop in and give her a reassuring hug and be like, small child, you do not have to become a child actor to make your mother love you. Like, Aww. you don't have to do this. I found the writing style really interesting because it was written as if it was happening to her. So it wasn't like, when I was six, this happened. She's like, I'm six years old. I'm sitting brushing my mom's hair. Like, she tells it like it's happening. Mm. And so it's in a really interesting and fresh and linear way. But as it's happening, you feel the sort of growing horror that all of this stuff is not normal. And she kind of flags that it's not normal. And, like, you as a reader are like, holy crap, this is not normal. But, mm. I mean, it's just a really intensely, beautifully written um, memoir but like I want to flag for anybody if you have disordered eating or anything like that stay far away it talks a lot about it and it's narcissistic personality disorder is in there too so just be safe but it was really good um, and also Nancy Drew has officially finished up this ah. week so I'm going to watch it it's <laughs> the series finale and I've been trying to stay off of Tumblr so I'm not spoiled but I can actually finally watch the end because I've gleaned enough from Bethany's post to know that I will not be brokenhearted like I was with the hundreds so looking oh, forward great. to that love that for you we just sometimes you need a fandom win sometimes you really want your ship to sail and not be shot down in a fiery volley of <laughs> showrunner nonsense um, spite <laughs> yeah Ugh. oh well next week we'll be reading chapters 56 through 64 through the theme of responsibility hmm time to be responsible not sure we can manage oh, that. I always have to. Always <laughs> have to. And it's always such a drag. Why can't I just lie in bed and read all day? Yeah. The dream. Preach. <laughs> Thank you so much for potting with me. I had such a good chat and I had such a good time hanging out with you today. Yeah, me too. Such a great section. And yeah, I love talking to you about optimism. My token optimistic friend. <laughs> <laughs> I am unfortunately a bright sider. That's great. Thanks for sticking with me, even though I continue to be annoyingly optimistic. <laughs> no, someone's got to do it. I love it. Someone will die of fun, right? Of fun. <laughs> That's right. All right. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 